I forgot to put my bookmark in. All right. Here we go. Thanks for coming out once again. Uh, it is a blessing uh, to be able to stand before you each week and teach through our, uh, this letter of Paul to the Galatians. It is, uh, a, this particular study has been uh, meaningful to me in, in, in ways that are helping me understand this gospel that we are talking about all the time. Uh, I hope that as you consider the, the, one of the principles we value, which is uh, gospel motivation, right? Uh, the gospel's for every person at every moment. When we, when we talk about that, we really mean the gospel's for you this morning. If you're here for the first time uh, and you don't know anything about our church, please understand our desire is that you would know more about the gospel, more about the good news of Jesus Christ and, his, and God's love for you uh, expressed so vividly in his death, burial, and resurrection. And we, we would love to be able to talk to you more about uh, Jesus uh, this particular study, we've been going through the book of Galatians, and we've been talking about different aspects of the gospel uh, and how we can highlight this aspect. We talked last week in verses 26 through 29 of chapter 3 that no other gospel gives sinners uh, a new identity, but it's, it's a specific identity. It's the new identity of children of, uh, of, children of God. You are, if you've come to faith in, in Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done, you're a child of God. That's what the Bible teaches us. Uh, now, you may consider yourself a follower of Jesus, but you've never actually uh, come to understand the significance of him being fully God and fully man. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on an aspect of that today. Or there may be some other area of the gospel where it may be a little fuzzy for you. But we're, we're encouraging you to understand today that there's no other gospel that can give you what the gospel presented in Scripture gives you. And in this particular focus, it gives sinners... We believe that all people have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible teaches. There's none righteous, no, not one. We get that. And, 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 and I account myself as one of those sinners that has been saved by grace. Was I the worst sinner ever? No. And I'm thankful for that. But I was bad enough. And I'm so thankful for the good news of the gospel that redeemed me and, and made me a child of God. And so I have this new identity in Christ. If you claim to be a Christian today because you, you know that you have come to a genuine faith in Christ, you have this new identity as well. And it's only the gospel that is presented in Scripture, presented in, in um, the, the books of the Bible that we have before us, that give us this new identity as children of God. And so I hope you're a child of God today. I hope it's something that you can uh, celebrate as we uh, will move on in our study today. We talked last week that our identity as Christians, one, is based on our faith in Christ alone. It's pictured in our union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection as we go through the, the ordinance of baptism. We talked about our identity as shared by the community of faith. This is something we all share together as believers in Jesus Christ. And, and we finished off with this idea that it's secure because it's a promise of God. God keeps his promises And that's the way we finished off uh, last week uh, in verse 29. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But we kind of summarized this idea that what we were before our faith and what we are after our faith. And so just as a reminder, we we were children of Satan. 1 John teaches us that. 
We are now children of God, the fact that we've come to faith in Christ. We were characterized by separation. Now we're characterized by unity, the unity of faith, the unity of believers. Um, we, were, we were pretty much bent on separating ourselves into different groups, trying to be better than other people prior to our salvation. But in, in Christ, we are to be unified uh, in him. The Bible tells us that before we came to faith, we are transgressors according to the law of God. If you measured your life according to the law of God, you would find yourself having not met every element of it. So therefore, you're a transgressor. If you break one part of it, you break the whole thing. But in Christ, we are actually heirs according to the promise of God. So uh, we, 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 we talk about this secure in the promise of God. We, we finish this idea that we're heirs according to this promise of God. And he said, uh, he wrote, Paul wrote to the Galatians in the end of, of chapter 3, if you are Christ, it's, it's the idea that since you are Christ, right, you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. That was the promise made to Abraham, is that through, your, through one of your descendants, right, we know it to be Jesus Christ, we know that through one of the, uh, the promise was through one of your sins, the whole world will be blessed. We believe that to be Jesus Christ. What's the, that's what the Bible teaches us. So if you're Christ, and I hope you are this morning, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We are heirs as in uh, we are due an inheritance and it's from God. We're, gonna, we're starting here. We're also going to finish on this idea uh, as we go through the text. But uh, as we go into chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, uh, we're going to kind of focus on this idea. Our new identity as children of God is cause for celebration. I don't know if conservative Baptists are really known for being celebratory, okay? Unless there's food or coffee, right? Actually, I think it must be food and coffee, right? Dessert and coffee or some sort, right? We, we might be cause for a celebration. But I think there are reasons for us to celebrate today that we might just overlook in our day-to-day life. We don't have to come together on a specific holiday to remember these reasons I'm going to give that Paul gives us for celebrating this identity we have in Christ. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're in need of a, uh, a friendly hug, friendly handshake, a encouraging word. But God has in these, these seven verses, he has for us five reasons we should celebrate being children of God. And I, I hope, well, actually, my hope is that everyone already will, will be like rejoicing this already, and this will be old news to you, but invigorating news but I have to believe, because I know my own life, there are times where we just need some encouragement. I, ha- I pray that this would be encouraging to you. All right, so I'm going to give you five reasons, but I'm, I'm not going to give you the reason right off the bat, all right? Reason one, we'll, we'll hold off on, on giving us the reason why we can celebrate our identity as a child of God, because this reason is based upon this truth. Our new identity is a result of the Father's gracious plan. Uh, have you ever thought about your life as being an aspect of God's outworking of his plan? I tell you, that will bring you encouragement right there to know that you have purpose. So we're, we're going to talk about uh, the first four verses, actually the first three and a half verses 
are uh, part of an illustration, and uh, secondly, it's a uh, it's an application. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna actually look at these uh, together, and I'm just gonna do it this way for sake of time. Here's the illustration that Paul gives us in verses one and two. He says, "Now I say this. The, we've already read this portion. All right, um, Andrew read this for us earlier." Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, uh, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. I underline these words for us to see the parallel nature of the illustration and the application that Paul's giving to the uh, Galatians. All right? So the left side is the illustration. The right side is the application. He's saying, just like the illustration, Galatians, these things are true of us. He starts off, even so we, in verse 3. He's, 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 giving, he's trying to identify himself with the Galatians and what they have in their unity of faith. And he, and he uses this illustration. It says, I say on the left side, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, so that we think of that, I have had the opportunity to receive two inheritances in my life, financial inheritances. One was from my grandfather, and it was significant enough, divided by uh, my six siblings as well as, uh, I think, four or five other people, uh, that we were able to put money down on our house. And it was a huge blessing. Uh, and then we went to sell that house and lost every penny of that inheritance, and uh, it was gone, but we were thankful to have it when, it when the market, we bought at the top of the market and sold at the bottom, all right? Don't recommend it, all right? But that's what happened to us. And so as we think about an inheritance in this life, uh, it's not guaranteed. It may come, it may go. Uh, our second inheritance wasn't as significant, but we used it to, to a part of it was for the, uh, it's for my mom's death, and we used it to secure some uh, bonds for our children's education, and uh, it subsequently went right down, and, and, and uh, thankfully, in about 20 years, it made its value back, and, um, and, and so it really didn't pay for a whole lot, but we were thankful for the thought, not guaranteed. As we deal with the illustration on the left side of, of this uh, slide here, we're going to see that Paul is drawing upon a practice that every one of the Galatians would have understood in their culture, and we pretty much understand today. When a child is an heir, right, this word child has the idea of maybe like a four-, or five-, six-year-old, a young child, not able to make decisions for themselves, not, don't understand the ways of the world, don't understand good financial practice, certainly not able to manage a farm or a business or anything like that. In this illustration, he's saying that an heir that's a child, he's really not so much different than a slave, he says there, there's a lot of similarities between a child who cannot exercise his uh, mature responsibilities. When he's mature, he will exercise his responsibilities on his own. But as a child, he just can't do it. And so we see that as that's true in the illustration, it's true even so we, when we were children, were in bondage. So we see in this parallel, child and children, Paul is, is just con- contrasting the two, and he's saying, listen, we were children once. But what we have to understand, when Paul says, even so we, when we were children, it's the idea of they are no longer children anymore. He's talking to the Galatians, and he's saying, we are mature. We are not the child, the heir as a child who can't make the decisions. We have matured in our faith. 
So he's, he's actually calling the Galatians to remember who they were prior to their faith in Jesus Christ. I'm just letting you know that's the, that's the flow that we're having here. So he, he says, listen, just as one child, we can consider as children, there's a similarity. He says that the, the child's no different than a slave. Uh, but he says, we as children, right, when we were children, we were also under a form of bondage. He goes on to say that, that what kind of, when this child that's pretty much equal to a slave, uh, though he is master of all, though he has all the, all the rights of being the master, because of his maturity level, he is not able to exercise that. He is under guardians and stewards. We're familiar with that terminology because Paul was talking about how the law served, one, as the prison guard, and two, as a tutor. So Paul, Paul is very engaged with trying to convey to the Galatians in, in picturesque language in ways they will understand, listen, this is a reality. This illustration is a reality in our society. Little kids, kind of like slaves, they're under guardians and stewards. They cannot exercise their own desires without having approval from others, without having others say it's okay. He says, we, when we were children in the past and we were under bondage, what were we under bondage to? He says, we were under bondage to, to the elements of the world. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what these terms mean, and, and I encourage you, go read the commentaries, read the different things about uh, what elements of the world might mean. I'm going to tell you my opinion, but I'm not going to unpack it to the nth degree because that's, and this is one of those situations where you'll miss the forest for the trees, right? You'll, just, you'll get too bogged down into exactly what this means. There's a parallelism going on between the illustration and reality. And he's saying, just like the children were under guardians and stewards, uh, or slaves uh, as a guardian and steward, under the elements of the world, we were in, in bondage. The elements of the world, it depends on what, where you're coming from. What's your background? Now, you know, I, I share my, my testimony on a regular basis. I share my background, youngest of six, middle-class family, Roman Catholic upbringing. Uh, um, uh, then, then I matured in my faith by coming to faith in Christ and, and, and Him alone through, through grace alone, and, you know, all, all that we've talked about. And that's kind of what he's saying is, well, the elements of the world is kind of, if you're a Jew, the elements of the world would be your world. It's the, the world is more of the idea of the worldliness of your life, right? So he would say the elements of the world for a Jew would have been the law. It would have been the practicing of those things that fall underneath your rules and regulations. But if you were not a Jew and you were a Gentile, then, then this element of elements of the world kind of Ca- captures your upbringing as well. It, maybe you were into paganism and you and you are, are were worshiping, you know, uh, rocks and stones and and uh, mythical gods of some sort. He's saying, listen, whatever elements of the world that you were under in bondage to, that's what he's talking about here. So, as uh, under the guardian of stewards. We're familiar with the fact that Paul is saying that, the, the, again, that the, the law was that prison guard. It was that tutor. But he said, but you don't need that anymore when you came to faith in Christ. He's saying something similar here, but he's broadening out to even the Gentiles. He's saying, listen, even so when we, now he's not considering himself a Gentile, but he's saying Jew or Gentile, when we were children not yet mature in our faith, 
We were in bondage other, under the elements of the world, whatever they might be in your context. In order to draw you in, let me ask you for you to consider, what was life like for you prior to Christ? Did you believe that there was a God? Did you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Did you, did you think at some level that you had to please God to earn His favor? Because at some point in time, you had to come to a realization that there was nothing you could do. And of your own strength and your own initiative to please God, all you could do would be to respond to the good news of the gospel, the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ that says it is Jesus who paid it all on the cross. And I am unified in his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. That is my life. And he's saying, Paul's saying in the, in, the, in the application here on the right-hand side, he's saying, listen, this is who we were. But, verse 4, let me, let me, let me just uh, go f- forward here. He says, but when the fullness of the time, and he had a time reference in the illustration as well. When this child is, is like a slave under the guardians, he is going to stay that way until a specific time that has been appointed by the father. I want you to understand, the father is the focus of this portion. The illustration and in the application, he's saying, listen, there's, there's a time, but there's a time that has been uh, established by the father to when that child will not be under guardians and stewards anymore. They will actually be, and I've heard different ages, anywhere from 16 to 25, I think, in my reading, depending on the culture and what was going on. There was, there was a time where people were recognized they're men. In the Jewish society, it would have been at their bar mitzvah. They would have turned 13. They would have become an adult male in the community. It doesn't mean they knew everything, but it was at that particular time in their culture where some of this would have taken place. For Gentiles, it was even uh, older. But he's saying, listen, for people to make the decisions that are necessary of masters on the illustration, there has to be an appointed time for that to take place. And so we don't know the time. That's, and again, that's not the important aspect of this. It's just the fact that what we know in our day and age, and this is true in our day and age, we know that if someone is a billionaire and leaves their inheritance to a five-year-old, that five-year-old's not going to run all those businesses. But when that child becomes a mature adult, the expectation would be that they would take over the inheritance of which is solely theirs, right? But now let's just focus on this right side for a minute because we see that when the fullness of time uh, had come, uh, we see that God sent forth his son. It is also paralleled uh, with the father on the other side. But we see that when the fullness of the time had come. Uh, We started this thing with the idea of our new identity as a result of, of, of the father's gracious plan. And, you know, when I was born into this world and raised the way I was raised, I didn't know there was a plan. I knew there was a God. And I actually believed that Jesus Christ was God's son, but I didn't know much more than that. I didn't understand who he was and what he had accomplished and what my response was to be. But I'll say this. When I came to understand that aspect of who he is and what he had done, I realized, whoa, 
there's a plan that was taking place. It has existed since the, before time began. It was in the mind and the heart of the Father and the mind and the heart of the Son and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. When I realized there was this plan and it included me, that got my attention. And I think this new identity we have as a result of the Father's gracious plan that in the fullness of the time, at just the right time, God sent his son into the world. I realize that one aspect of why we can celebrate is the fact that we're free. How do I draw that out? Well, let me go, let me go back to here and just say, in both the illustration and the application, we're talking about slaves and bondage. We're talking about that we were under guardians and stewards or the elements of the world. When we were children, these things were true. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son to do what? To free us. Like the child would eventually come out from underneath the guardian and the stewards, right? At the time appointed by the father. So we as former children under the elements of the world, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son to do what? To free us. I think that's the first reason we have to to celebrate is that we are free. This is one of the drums I tend to beat quite often. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are free. Free to do what, pastor? Well, not to do whatever you want. That's called bondage, actually. Prior to faith, you couldn't couldn't make decisions. You were were still under the the, the elements of of this world, and you you were tied to sin. You were tied to rebellion. You were tied to all those things. But now we are free, and we are free to obey God. We're free to praise God. We're free to fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers. We're free to do all those things that we are able to do in Christ. But the Galatians, see, they had people coming in, and they, the Galatians had come to, to believe this freedom they have in Christ, but these Galatian teachers, these, or excuse me, these false teachers, these Judaizing teachers came in and say, no, but you have to believe in Jesus and the law. You have to believe in, in the law. We've already established the law is a form of bondage. It, it keeps you, it's, the purpose of the law was not to redeem anybody. The purpose of the law was to teach you that you needed redemption. You needed salvation. You needed forgiveness of sins because you could not keep the law perfectly. Only Jesus Christ was. So this first reason that we're free, uh, the first reason we get to celebrate is because we are free. And I ask you, exercise your freedom in Christ. Be a Christian unapologetically. Do the things that glorify God. They will not be affirmed by our world, but they ought to be affirmed by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we'll see later, they're affirmed by God anyway, and that's, that's good enough. Reason number two is based on this truth. Our new identity was accomplished through the sending of God's Son. This is the, the, the idea that when the fullness of time had come, uh, but God sent his son. So in the, in the perfect time, God never had plan B. You know I say that a lot, but it's the idea at just the right time. We often talk to ourselves, you know, or maybe have conversations. What if, what if Jesus had come today, like for the first time, his first advent? Let's say he came into the 21st century. wonder what that would have been like. You know, would Jesus have had a cell phone? Would Jesus have had a Twitter account? 
you know, if you, what would he post? Yeah. And, and it's fun to talk about it in one sense. You, you can talk about those things, and, but, but really, it's, it, it really is not a, a point of Scripture. The point is, at just the right time, which was in Bethlehem, in what we call the beginning of the first century, right? Right? Because that's everything. Our, our whole calendar is based on Christ. In the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent forth his son. So we see this idea of the giving, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? We see that. God sent forth his son. And so we see four aspects of what this sending forth of a son means, right? He said that sending forth of a son, born of a woman. Jesus Christ was of like nature as you and me. Fully man. He was born of a woman. That's what that's, that's a, the idea there is physical birth. It took place. We see the deity of Christ, really, in the fact that God sent forth his son. It's the, it is the idea of a, the, the preexistent Jesus, the preexistent son of God, was sent to be born of a woman. We talk about it in Philippians uh, chapter 2. Uh, he humbled himself. Right? He, he, as he, didn't, he didn't seek to, be, to exercise his attributes of God. He humbled himself to become a man. And that's one way he was sent forth, fully deity, born of a woman, full humanity. He was born under the law. He was born a Jewish male. Historically speaking and, and theologically speaking, this was important because Jesus wasn't born a Gentile. Where there is no law, there is no sin. And so Jesus was born under the law, the Jewish law, and he kept it perfectly. He never violated a single statute of the law. He was perfect. No one else could do that, only the God's son, fully God, fully man. He was born under the law. That's important because he had to live under that law to do the next part. He said to, to redeem those who were under the law. And, and this, is, this is really the, you know, the, the good news, that God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law. That's you and that's me. And I needed redemption. And so when we think about uh, reason number two, our new identity was accomplished through the sending of God's son, What's the reason we can celebrate? We're redeemed. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, right? We sing that song. We sing songs like that. We love to sing about our redemption. We have been brought from slavery to freedom. But what's beautiful about this particular text, if you ask me, is that not only are we redeemed, but we have a third, uh, a third aspect, that we, uh, uh, a third reason we can celebrate based on the same truth, the fact that God sent his son, is the fact that he says God sent forth his son that we might receive the adoption as sons. I had a conversation in between the services, and, and the person was, uh, was drawing upon, just so excited about this idea that, that, I, that I spoke about re, uh, adoption. In terms of our, our relationship with God, we are adopted. Because the, the good news uh, that we can celebrate is not only are we redeemed, but we're adopted. Can we pause there just for a minute? It's good news that we are redeemed. We needed redemption. 
We are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness, right? We, we get that picture. We're no longer in bondage. We're free. That's wonderful. But God didn't stop there. He adopted us. This idea of adoption is something that is done to you. When you think about uh, there in, in the first century, I mean, slaves were, were redeemed for any number of reasons. Uh, uh, how many of you ever seen the, uh, the movie Ben-Hur, the original one, right, with Charlton Heston, right? Ben-Hur, you know, a few of you, right? I think, I think it was that story where, um, where he, was, uh, he was a slave. And, and uh, there's, I'm not giving you the whole backstory, But he was a slave. But then he saves this important uh, general, Roman general's life. And, uh, and, and, and so as a result, that general later adopts him. Now, I'm, I'm sure, you know, her, Ben-Hur, was thrilled to be free and not be a slave anymore and not be on that ship doing all the things that slaves do, right? I'm sure he was glad to just be free, but that Roman general went beyond that. And I think this is one of the redeeming aspects of that particular story is that it's a picture of, of our adoption. We are no longer slaves to sin. We've been set free, but we have not just been redeemed. There's many... Many slaves who were redeemed, but not many were adopted. Adopted adoption is that thing that takes place where you you actually go from not having really anything to having everything. It's that illustration at the beginning: the child who's an heir but is too young to to manage his inheritance, right? Until he's mature. Well, here we are adopted. Paul's telling the Galatians, we are adopted. Our new identity was accomplished by the sending of his son. He redeemed us and he adopted us. Um, I'm sorry, let me. I meant to go backwards, right? We might receive the adoption as sons. It's something that is done to us. It's not something, as a slave, a slave might do such good work and, and, and do such a, a great job and minister like Ben-Hur did. You know, minister to, he might do something that might earn his freedom. But really, we're talking relationship here when we're talking about adoption. It's something done to us. We know we've had multiple adoptions take place within the families of our church. Uh, and, and so this idea of adoption is not foreign to us. But have you ever considered or have you taken a moment to rejoice and celebrate the fact that you are adopted? And that as a child of God, it's, yes, I'm a child because I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm, I'm a child and I have all these things true of me, but have you ever stopped to consider that you are an adopted child? That you really had no right to the position that you currently find yourself in? It has been, t- it has been something that it says, Jesus Christ, it said, God sent forth his son to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. That is why Jesus came. That is why God sent his son. And so we can rejoice over our redemption and our adoption. But as we go into ver, uh, the reason number four for, uh, for celebrating, our new identif- identity is confirmed by the sending of God's Spirit. This is, this is not as black and white as maybe the other ones are, but I think, it's, I think it's true, the fact that we can celebrate this, that we are accepted. It says in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son. Notice the parallelism here. We have God sent forth His Son into, uh, uh, to redeem us. God sent forth his, the Spirit of His Son, talking about the Holy Spirit, and He sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts. Now, we, we, we teach our children, you know, 
they, they want to get saved, and oftentimes the prayer of a child will be, Lord, I pray that, you know, I pray that Jesus will come in my heart today, right? When I was witnessed to for the very, well, not the first time, but the first time that made the difference, um, you know, uh, 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 Eric said to me, he said, you know, Greg, Jesus Christ wants in your life today. He wants in your heart today. I think it was one of those type words, and I'm thinking to myself, what, you mean he's not there already, Eric? I thought he was because of this and this and this. And he said, no, that wasn't, you didn't have what, I didn't have what Eric had because I, I had never come to faith that God sent forth his son to redeem me. I had to come to that truth first. And, and then here's the second truth. Because you are sons, because you've come to faith in Christ, you're the mature son now. God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. It's a confirmation of sorts of your salvation. Let me ask you this. Do you struggle with sin? Right? I could ask for a raise of hands. I won't because every hand ought to go up. Right? Do you struggle with sin? Sin is a reality that we all deal with. What is, what is an evidence? What is a confirmation that we are a child of God? When committing sin actually bothers us. There was a time I told my senior class, my senior Bible class, uh, just last week that when I was a, I was probably a sophomore, freshman or sophomore in high school, and I cheated, I'm telling you, horribly. I mean, I was so far behind, I didn't care. I cheated like crazy. I just copied the assignment from beginning to end. It was like 10 assignments. I just copied them all. The person that gave them to me shouldn't have given them to me, but I'll be honest with you, I only felt bad when I got caught, right? I mean, isn't that way we feel often about sin? It's like, yeah, I feel bad that I did that. Yeah, I feel bad I got caught. It was kind of embarrassing. Yeah, Greg Odeorn, the cheater, right? Uh, But listen, can you understand this? It was different once I got saved. Sin, now, it was, it was, ooh, it was different. It's like, no, I know this, I shouldn't be doing this. There's a conviction that comes through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It says here, God has sent forth the Spirit of the Son into our hearts. We have been indwelled in, in with the Spirit. We've been baptized in the Spirit. It is something for every Christian will experience if they're a genuine Christian, if they come to genuine faith in the personal work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells them completely. So when, if you're struggling with sin, do you sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life? It's an evidence that you are a child of God. You can rejoice in that. You can celebrate the fact that your sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. It doesn't, I mean, honestly, if you're guilty of, of, of habitual sin, if you're guilty of sin, repent. Why, well, by all means, stop it. Unbeliever, believer, stop. Stop sinning. But the only reason we actually feel bad as, as, as Christians is because we have the presence of the Spirit in us. And, and that's why I think that as we, as we consider this, this, this truth, that our new identity is confirmed by the sending of, the, of God's Spirit, we know. I think you know if you're a child of God. Because there's a difference in your life that has taken place from the time before you were a child of God. Now, for the little ones, who got, people who get saved young at age, you know, they may not experience this uh, as black and white as someone like myself who got saved, uh, you know, in their later teens. But I will say this. You ought to know the sense of wrongdoing and sinning as a conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're not sad that you got caught. You're sad you did it. 
Uh, it says, so God sent forth his spirit of son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. This is, these are beautiful words. Uh, I read one commentator that uh, used, explained it this way. You know, because oftentimes you'll hear a word, it means daddy. I'm, I'm sure many of you have heard that, that Abba means daddy. Uh, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't in one sense, but I'm saying I appreciate what this one uh, author wrote. He said, we tend to over-sentimentalize this, this, this truth that's being taught here. It's also taught in Romans 8, but it's the idea that we, the, the crying out is the crying out of the Spirit. You want a, you want a confirmation that you're a believer, then do you, do you sense a crying out to Abba, to Father? It's not just calling him, Hi, Daddy, you know, that cute sentiment, sentimental type aspect. It's the idea that you're crying out, Father. It's, it's not a term of sentiment. It's a term of intimacy is what this author wrote. And I love this. It'll change the way I look at this word. It's the idea I am in intimate relationship with my heavenly Father. I am in an intimate relationship, one that, that, was not, that never existed before. And the way that I, that when I, when I sense my, you know, my yearning to call out to the Father, it's the Spirit inside of me doing that. You want a confirmation that you're a Christian. Do you feel guilty for your sin? Are you, do you realize you need to repent from your sin? Do you realize it? And do you cry out, God, in the sense of, Father, this intimate relationship. See, we often judge God as Father based upon our human fathers. Very poor practice. And I don't even think we should say necessarily that our Father ought to be just like God the Father, uh, although He is certainly the model of fatherhood. But I will say this, you want an evidence that you're a child of God. When you have gone through that difficult time and you find yourself in, in the presence and the power of the Spirit crying out to your in, because of your intimate relationship to the Father, you know you can do that. There's a difference. I had someone say uh, to me, you know, if I'm ever in the presence of God, you know, like when we come to worship, and I've heard this many, from, many times from many people, so if it was you, it was probably you and many others, uh, the idea that, you know, I must wear a coat and tie. I must wear my best to come to church. I wear a coat and tie basically because that's what I've always worn. I own a bunch of them, right? So uh, when they all wear out, maybe I won't do it as much, right? But I'm just saying I reject that, that idea, the whole idea that i got to present myself to God in, the, in my best. It's like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. What you're wearing doesn't make any difference with God. Just as a naked infant makes no difference before its parents. God doesn't care what we're wearing in his presence. He cares that we're his child. And so I'm just saying, and, and one person shared with me, he was like, yeah, I, I, I kind of look at it this way. Um, if I was going to be in front of the uh, the, say, the Queen of England or some royalty somewhere, and I feel I have to be in my best, therefore I need to be in, in, my, uh, in God's, I need to be dressed my best before God. Uh, I think to my, this person said it, and I'll never forget it. He said, yeah, but you know, you're not the child of the queen. Do the children of the queen come in their best every time they step into their presence, right? I'm just saying, I'm just using it as illustrative of the idea 
that when we come into our Father's presence, it's an intimacy that exists because of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And therefore, uh, we, can, we can celebrate this truth. Our new identity is confirmed by the sending of God's Spirit. We are accepted. We are accepted in the presence of God. We are His child. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We've been redeemed by His Son. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. All that is a gifting to us. You wonder if God is, is happy with you? Yes. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He loves you. You are accepted by him. Lastly, our new identity grants us an eternal future. This is just building on this last verse, which is the way the previous section uh, finished as well. He says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And this is important because as, as Paul finished chapter 3 to set us up for verses 1 through 7 of chapter 4, he's saying this at the end of chapter, uh, verse 7 to, to prep us for what's going to come in verses 8 and following. But he's drawing in this idea that we are no longer a slave but a son. We have matured. We have been redeemed. But, but we have been not only redeemed from slavery to freedom, but we are a child. We've been adopted. And as an adopted, we are, uh, we are able to have full rights and privileges as a full heir of God through Christ. The reason we can rejoice is that we are heirs. This is the truth of us as Christians. All that God has planned for us is ours. We don't have to do anything. We have become his children through faith in Christ, and we are heirs. First uh, Peter 1 tells us that our, uh, that our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. It's reserved for us. It's secure. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to be affected by the falling and the rising of, 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 of real estate or whatever impacts your inheritance. No, this is... We can celebrate the re- reality that we are no longer children, Paul is saying to the Galatians. We have matured in our faith. And therefore, because we have this faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, we don't need to go back to doing those old elementary things, those things that, that happened in our prior life. No, we have a new identity, and it grants us an eternal future. We will always be a child of God. Don't let anybody tell you that you can lose your salvation. I don't believe it's taught in Scripture unless someone's going to twist the Scripture around or not deal with Scripture exposed and and checked by other Scripture. Once a child, you're always a child. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation. I don't believe you can do anything to lose it. But I will say there is evidence of your relationship, your intimate relationship with God, and it's based upon the way we live. And I'm saying there's five reasons we can celebrate in our life uh, today. No other gospel gives sinners the new identity of children of God. That is a truth that, that Paul is, is communicating. Uh, but our new identity of children of God is cause for celebration. And, I, you know, we come together as Baptists, and we get around the Word of God, and we do these things, and, and we're so thankful. But I'm asking you to leave here today with celebration on your mind. Go and, and, and rejoice in the fact that you've been set free. Celebrate the fact that you have been redeemed. Celebrate the fact that you've been adopted. Celebrate the fact that that you are a child of God in all these ways. You have a new identity. Rejoice in it and take it with you wherever you go. Never apologize 
for being a child of God. Live out your faith with conviction and with confidence because God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's rejoice in our salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we've had in your word today. Uh, Lord, as we come to the end of our time, corporately, there will be, in a short period of time, for us to go our separate ways and to ponder all that we have in Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is struggling to understand if they have come to genuine faith in Jesus, that you would open their eyes to your word, that you would work in their heart to understand the teachings of, of, your, of your word, and they would own them as their own. Lord, that they would recognize that they're a sinner in need of salvation. They are in need of an acceptable sacrifice for sin. And the only acceptable sacrifice for sin is the one you provided when you sent your son. And for all those who come to faith in him, you will redeem and you will adopt. And Lord, we praise you for that. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who does not know Christ as Savior, they've never confessed their sin. They've never asked for forgiveness. They've never recognized Jesus as King, as Lord. Lord, I pray that you would do a work in their, in their heart here this morning. Father, as we consider uh, many of us who've been Christians for many years, uh, we often are ho-hum in our celebration of our faith. We, 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 we have lost sight of the significance of what it means to be your child. So, Lord, I pray that you'd enliven that reality and that we would not just go and do right, but we'd go and do right with joy. Do right in celebrating all these things that we have. Father, I pray that you would do your work in, in your people. And Lord, that you would do it in such a way that it would strengthen them, it would edify the whole body, but ultimately it would glorify you. So Father, we pray that you would do your work in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.